0: Hello and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story Season 2. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. I am Lisa M. Lilly, author of the Awakening Supernatural Thriller series and the QC Davis Mysteries and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. As always, there will be no spoilers, except at the end to talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. This week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 3, School Hard, in which we meet Spike. In particular, I'll talk about the story structure here, which is very strong, despite a subtle midpoint that I almost missed. The concept of the worthy adversary, mother-daughter conflict, which is built so well and resolved so dramatically, and so much foreshadowing about Spike, if you hang around for the spoiler section. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. School Hard was written by Joss Whedon and David Greenwalt and directed by John T. Kretschmer. Our opening conflict starts with Principal Snyder saying that some people say you should think of the principal as your pal. He says to think of him as your judge, jury, and executioner. He is in his office and he's talking to two students debating which causes more trouble and we see Buffy and Sheila who we have not met before, Principal Snyder quickly brings us up to speed on her by saying, on the one hand, Buffy has never stabbed a horticulture teacher with a trowel, and Sheila smiles and corrects him that it was with pruning shears. On the other hand, Principal Snyder says, Sheila never burnt down the school gym. Buffy tries to protest, saying the fire marshal said it could have been mice, and in my first quote of the week, she says, mice that were smoking? Snyder tells them both that they are in charge of parent-teacher night, the banners, the refreshments, making the student lounge friendly for adults, and one of them asks what the winner gets because they're in competition, and he says the loser gets expelled. Outside the school, Buffy says to Sheila, it won't be so bad, they can start tomorrow. But Sheila is not interested at all, and she waves to this guy she calls Meat Pie and disappears. Buffy looks after her and tells Xander and Willow that that's what her mom sees when she looks at Buffy. So here we have the setup of the emotional conflict, and the story arc between Buffy and her mom. While that isn't going to be our main plot, I feel that that is really the heart of this story. We are now at three minutes, 20 seconds in. We switch to the Sunnydale welcome sign and a classic old car that runs it down. We're looking at the ground. We see someone step out. We see boots, a long black leather coat. We pan up to um, peroxide hair. And this is Spike, although we don't know who he is yet. But it is a vampire who says, home, sweet home. And we switch to the credits. This is a bit early. Usually the inciting incident or story spark, as I think of it, that sets off our main plot happens at 10% in. So this is about a minute early. I could see it as the story spark because Spike comes to Sunnydale. Without that, we would still have a story, but not this specific one, and I'll get to that. So I, I think this begins the inciting incident, but it will kind of take shape over the next minute or two as soon as we get back from credits we see in what looks like a warehouse the anointed one this child who was the favorite of the master and who now seems to be leading the vampires a large vampire claims he can kill the slayer and when he does it'll be so amazing and he compares it to the crucifixion and says he was there at five minutes, eight seconds in, from behind, Spike laughs. And says if every vampire who claimed to be at the crucifixion was there, it would be like Woodstock. And Spike says he was at Woodstock. And says something about feeding on a a flower child and how he spent the next however long just looking at his hand moving. No one knows Spike. So he is the interloper here. So this, I think, is the spark where he comes in to this group of vampires that is trying to figure out how to kill the slayer. And he just... Charges in. And then he says he can kill the Slayer. He did a couple of them. And in another nice quote, he says, I don't like to brag. Who am I kidding? I love to brag. From behind him, Drusilla walks in. She's in this long, flowing dress. She's got her long, black hair. She looks um, haunted, I guess would be the best word to use, and Spike turns and says she shouldn't be walking around. Drew says that the little boy, the Anointed One, has power and goes up to him and says, do you like daisies? I plant them, but they always die, and everything I plant in the ground dies. Even the anointed one seems slightly spooked by Drusilla. She's cold, so Spike gives her his coat and calls her a princess. And they put their faces together and turn towards the anointed one. And Spike says, me and Drew, we're moving in. This is such a nice moment, this interplay between Spike and Drew. First, we have him breaking into this group. He's the stranger. He's full of confidence. He's bragging. He seems powerful. Drew walks in, and he turns, and he is so concerned for her. It is a side that we have not seen from vampires before, this what seems like a very human love and concern for another. He asks the Anointed One, if the Slayer is tough. We cut, and we are at Buffy saying ow as she combs her hair because her cream rinse is not working. It's neither creamy nor rinsy, she says. Joyce has a flyer about parent-teacher night. She suspects Buffy was not going to tell her about it, and they have a back and forth on what the teachers are likely to say. Joyce picks up that it probably will not be positive, and she says to Buffy, you know, we moved once because you got in trouble. I had to start a whole new life life and a whole new business and Buffy says and you don't want to do it again and then Joyce says what I don't want is to be disappointed in you I feel like this is so much worse than if Joyce had yelled at Buffy because we know Buffy does not want to disappoint her mom she says she has a lot of pressure on her and Joyce says wait till you get a job Buffy says to herself I have one That night at school, Buffy, Willow, and Xander are painting banners. Sheila is nowhere to be seen. Giles and Jenny come in. They are talking about the Night of St. Vigis, a crusade of vampires. Given the timing, because we are approaching about 11 minutes in, this could be the first major plot point, the one that usually comes one quarter through and spins our story in a new direction. But I think that comes quite a bit later. Buffy is focused on parent-teacher night. She's worried about getting that done, and Giles kind of chides her about this, that you know it's more important that there might be this mystical night coming up But she points out, you know, she has to do this. She can't get expelled from school. And she promises to focus on the night of St. Vigis after she gets through tonight. Giles says they'll need a lot of preparation. And Xander says, well, they can all help. They can whittle stakes or get weapons ready or whatever they need. Principal Snyder comes in and he glares at Xander and Willow and asks if they are helping Buffy. And Willow says something like, no, no helping. We're hindering. Buffy covers for Sheila, claiming she went to get paint, and Snyder says everything better be perfect on Thursday. Sheila appears a couple moments later. She looks really out of it, maybe high, and she thanks Buffy for covering for her. Buffy is clearly irritated with her, but she doesn't say anything. At the bronze later on, Willow and Buffy are studying French and talking about how Angel did not show up. Xander persuades them to take a break. All three of them dance, and it's a really nice moment. They're having fun together. At 14 minutes, 10 seconds in, Spike walks in and sees Buffy. I see this as what really turns the story. He is studying her. I feel like he is almost captivated by her. Fascinated. And he tells the other, another vampire with him, to go out and get something to eat. Then he loudly says, someone call the police. There's a guy biting someone out there. Buffy, of course, runs out. She starts fighting the vampire and yells at Xander and Willow to get the girl he was biting away and says something like, a steak would be nice. The vampire says he doesn't need to wait for St. Fidgets, and he says, Spike, give me a hand. Xander has tossed Buffy the steak. She dusts the vampire. Spike comes out and claps, so he does give her a hand, something that I uh, don't think I noticed the first time. He says, nice work. She says, who are you? And he says, He says she'll find out Saturday. Buffy says, what happens on Saturday? Spike says, I kill you. This emphasis on the day, I'm sure, is purposeful. Earlier, we had Snyder say, this better be ready on Thursday. Now we have Spike talking about Saturday, which we know from Giles is when the Night of St. Vigis is. We flip to Sheila. She's walking in an alley with two guys saying she hopes they really have a Cadillac. They disappear one at a time, and she's looking for them, and Spike appears. She asks him, who are you? Spike says, who do you want me to be? She starts to ask if he's seen the guys, and he says, those two guys who aren't good enough for you. He tells her with a laugh that they got sleepy, and she got something a whole lot better. In the library, Giles says Spike, that's what the other vampires called him. He and the others are researching in the books. Giles says he can't be worse than other creatures Buffy has faced. Angel comes in through the library door, as is often the case, no one heard him walk in, and says he's worse. Angel says once Spike starts something, he doesn't stop until everything in his path is dead. Buffy, though, asks Angel why he wasn't at the bronze, and he says, well, she only said maybe she'd show. Buffy says he's been dating for 200 years, and he doesn't know what that means when a girl says maybe she'll show. In the background, Willow says something like, wow, two centuries of dating. Even if that's only two dates per year, that's... And Buffy shoots her a look, and she stops. Back at the warehouse in what seems to be an underground room that Spike and Drew have moved into. Drew has a number of dolls. She's got them blindfolded and she turns one of them around and she's talking to them. Spike urges her to eat something and she says she's not hungry and she misses Prague. He says the mob nearly killed her there and this is the place. The Hellmouth will restore her. We get some exposition through conflict as so often is. the case in Buffy. That is one of the things before I started this podcast I had always admired the writing in Buffy, the dialogue, the structure of the story, and the characters. I hadn't really focused at how good the writers are at getting that exposition out there for the most part without just downloading a bunch of information to us in a way that's boring. It almost always is coming through some kind of conflict like this. Also, this dialogue is intriguing because it raises a story question that will continue about what happened to Drusilla, what is wrong with her, what are they trying to fix, and it It raises a a more general question. Before this, I don't think we had any sense that a vampire could somehow be ill. My idea was wherever you were when you became a vampire, you were kind of frozen there. So it, it seems that that's not true, that something happened to Drusilla that affected her either mentally or physically or both. In the background, we hear the other vampires chanting, and Drew tells Spike to go that the boy doesn't trust him, and the other vampires all follow the boy. Spike says, uh, another quote I enjoy, All right, I'll go up and get Chanty with the fellows, if Drew will eat something. Then we see that Sheila is tied up and gagged, and Drew bites her after telling the doll, Miss Edith, That if she had been good, she could have watched. This whole relationship is such a character shift for the vampires. Even Darla, she wanted Angel back and we knew they had this history between them. But you didn't, I didn't get that feeling of Her really having that concern for Angel. And Spike and Drew have this connection. Spike has so much emotional vulnerability. You can see the way that he loves Drew, the concern for her. And Drusilla has both physical and mental vulnerability. She seems not weak, but she we know she is somehow not right, somehow impaired. She gets cold. Spike is worried about her walking around, and yet she is also very powerful. She seems to have these insights and visions, and Spike is powerful as well, though he is not as big as these other vampires, and we haven't yet seen him. Him fight his very confidence tells us that he he is a formidable fighter and I don't mean confidence in the way of swaggering around and saying he's great although as he says he does like to brag but the fact that he can have fun he is playful and joking and it tells us he is not worried he's not worried about any of these other vampires taking him down He's not worried about Buffy winning the fight. He can afford to have fun. So they are both very powerful and vulnerable, which makes them fascinating characters to me. At about 21 minutes in, we're at the library again, and Giles is reading up about the night of St. Vigis. Buffy has a weapon, this giant cleaver, and we see her swing it, but she's chopping vegetables and stressing about parent-teacher night, not getting ready for the fight, though her friends around her are whittling steaks and preparing. This is the midpoint of the episode in terms of time. And usually at the midpoint, we see some sort of major reversal for the protagonist or a strong commitment to the quest or both. Here, I had to go back and and really look to see, was Buffy committing to anything? Here, what I think we have is a very subtle commitment in the midst of Giles doing this research And Buffy, now knowing there is a specific vampire, Spike, out there who plans to kill her on the night of St. Vigis. Also, he worked out a plan. He sent this other vampire out to lure her out. He watched her fight to study her. We also have what Angel told us about Spike, and Buffy knows that too. So despite knowing all this that she is up against... She is committing to parent-teacher night first, take care of that, um, and then deal with this threat. And while that was her plan earlier, she didn't have all the information before, and now she does. So I see this as her commitment, but as I mentioned in the opening, it is very subtle Yeah, I think it works really well. And if you had asked me before I sat down and looked at this episode, could you have a midpoint commitment that was kind of that, maybe not soft, because it's serious for Buffy, but... That almost unobtrusive, could that drive a strong story? I might have been a little skeptical, but I think it really works here. We get a little comic relief where Cordelia says she is tired of whittling steaks and Xander says she's only been at it for a couple minutes. And she says, if this spike is as mean as you all say, it'll be over really quick anyway. Everyone glares at her and she says, oh, of course, she's rooting for Buffy. Um, and she would help on Saturday if she didn't have a leg wax. Buffy goes out to the table. She has remembered she needs to make punch. Willow comes out and Buffy says, oh, I made lemonade. And Willow says, how much sugar did you put in? Buffy says sugar. Willow, who has just sipped it, makes a face and kind of holds back choking and says, it's very good. This is the start of a joke about the lemonade, a three beat. I've mentioned this before. It's where you have the same line or the same theme coming back three different times in three different ways. Buffy tells Willow um, they have to keep Snyder and Joyce apart. Joyce walks in and Buffy offers her the punch. Behind her, Willow looks at Joyce and shakes her head, which is the second beat of the joke as she warns Joyce. Snyder is in the background, so Buffy has Willow hurry Joyce away. Snyder comes up, Buffy pretends her mother doesn't speak English anyway, and she accidentally spills lemonade on Snyder, truly accidentally. Cordelia walks in, criticizes how oily Buffy's face looks, and later Joyce and Willow come back, and Joyce comments that, All the teachers magically have gone as soon as she gets into the classroom. Despite all Willow and Buffy's best efforts, Snyder finds them and he tells Joyce, we need to talk and they go off to his office. Cordelia tells Buffy that when that talk is over, by the time they get to their 10th high school reunion, she'll still be grounded. And Willow says to Cordelia, Cordelia, have some punch which pays off the joke, the end of the three beat. In the library, Giles tells us that Spike, who is also known as William the Bloody, got his nickname by driving railroad spikes through his victims' heads. He also says that Spike fought two slayers and killed both. So now we know that Spike's bragging to the anointed one was true. Snyder and Joyce return out in the student lounge and Joyce tells Buffy to get in the car. She is... Is not happy Snyder starts turning off the lights which is really weird because there are still people milling around the lounge clearly this as we see is for plot purposes because Spike bursts through the window a couple seconds after that and with a group of vampires and I think we didn't want people to see all the vamp faces directly But I also like to think Snyder, you know, he accomplished his purpose. He got Buffy in trouble. And his view is, hey, time for everyone to go home. I'm shutting off the lights. Spike says he couldn't wait for Saturday, for St. Fidges. And this is all about 26 minutes in, and it could be the next major plot point, the usually coming at the three-quarter mark through the story and spinning the story in yet another new direction. And it should grow out of the protagonist's commitment at the midpoint. And here, in a way, it does because Buffy is so committed to parent-teacher night that she is here. She's not away in the library preparing. She hasn't ducked out of the parent-teacher thing. So it is why she's there and why Spike comes looking for her in this spot. But I do think it comes a little bit later, though this is the beginning of it. It clearly brings the story to a new place. Willow and Cordelia run one way. I love that we get a moment. There are vampires chasing them, and Willow grabs this bust of some old guy and swings it at the vampire and knocks him out, knocks him over, and she and Cordelia lock themselves in a closet and hide. Buffy directs the others, including Snyder and Joyce, into a classroom and barricades the door. So this I see as really that plot turn, that three-quarter turn because Buffy is now taking charge and she is the one directing her mom and directing principal Snyder, despite that up to this point, you know, she's been struggling to keep them apart. They in a way have been running the show in terms of the parent teacher night. She She's been reacting to their demands and now she is the one who knows how to handle this and she's saying get in here and people listen because she has that authority of seeming like she knows what to do. A vampire tells Spike he doesn't know where the slayer went. Spike is angry and he says uh, because Spike is a bit of a showman he says I'm a veal kind of guy you're too old to eat but he twists the vampire's neck and kills him and says but not to kill I feel better. In the library, Giles tells Xander to go out. There's an exit behind the stacks and find Angel. In that barricaded classroom, someone comments on, you know, did you see those guys' faces who broke in? Snyder says he's seen it before. It's a gang on PCP, but they have to get out. And Buffy says, no, you can't do that. You'll get killed. If you leave here, you'll get killed. And Snyder says, who do you think you are? And she says, I'm the one who knows how to stop them. And she tells Joyce, don't worry, Mom. She climbs up into that drop ceiling where we found Marcy's things back in the um, Out of Mind, Out of Sight Spike is out in the hall. He's calling out to her, and another vampire hears her in the ceiling. They figure out that she's somewhere up in the ceiling. But she crashes down into the library just as Giles was about to go out and help fight. She tells him no. She wants him to stay in the school because she has to go fight, and if she doesn't make it, she knows he'll make sure her mom gets out Back in that classroom, another man wants to go out the window. He's panicking. Joyce tells him not to be an idiot. And Snyder starts to say, or he says something like, I'm starting to see where Buffy gets it. A vampire is using an axe to break through the door. And the guy who was panicking, he goes out the window. And immediately, a vampire grabs him. Joyce barricades the window again. Outside the school, we see Angel vamp out and grab Xander. Then quickly, we are back inside, and Buffy kills a vampire in the hallway, the one who was trying to get into the classroom. Joyce only sees part of it. She doesn't see that he's a vampire. Sheila appears, and she says to Buffy, she's not in vamp phase she pretty much looks like when Buffy last saw her and it's not strange to Buffy that she just turns up because that's what she did before so she says oh there's these weird guys outside and Buffy says yeah I know they're trying to kill everyone so Sheila grabs the axe and says oh this should be fun and she's behind Buffy so we have here dramatic irony where we as the audience know something that Buffy does not we know she's in danger immediately from Sheila Angel drags Xander into the school and brings him to Spike. And Spike says, and jealous, I'll be damned. And Angel kind of scolds him for not guarding his perimeter and says he taught him better. So again, we're getting that um, bit of conflict that tells us exposition, tells us Angel and Spike know each other. And Angel somehow mentored Spike. Spike asks him about the new Slayer. And Angel says she's cute, but not too bright. She fell for the tortured puppy dog act. And he says it keeps her off his back when he feeds. And Spike laughs and says people still fall for that Anne Rice routine. This back and forth also raises some great story questions because, yes, we know there's a connection between these two, but we don't know what it is. We also, right here, there is a ton of tension because we don't know... For sure, that Angel is just trying to fool Spike. I, I feel like when I first watched this, I felt fairly certain about that. I don't think that I thought that Angel was truly evil and had been hiding it all this time. But I, truly, I can't remember from the first time I watched Xander. Though definitely believes, and he is, you know, saying, "I knew it, I knew it," and he says, "Undead liar, guy." Another nice quote. Angel offers Spike a bite, says they can drink together. We switch back to Buffy. Sheila is about to attack, but through that hole in the door, Joyce sees it and warns Buffy. Buffy fights Sheila off and slays her. Then she gets everyone out of that classroom and she's herding them out of the building, but she won't go because she still has to help other people. Back to Spike and Angel. Spike is asking, why is Angel scared of the Slayer? Is this tortured thing really an act? And Angel says he saw her kill the master. That's why he's afraid of her or, or would rather avoid her. Spike pretends he's going to drink. They both lean in. And Spike punches Angel and says something like, you think you can fool me? You were my sire, my Yoda. And I love that Spike knows that Angel is conning him, even though it seems really clear that Spike and Angel have not seen each other forever, probably for 100 years. So we see that Spike has a lot of insight into people. Spike sends the other vampires after Angel and Xander. They run out of the building and later we'll see them fighting on the lawn. So Angel is not available to help Buffy. Spike says, Fee, fi, fo, fum. I smell the blood of a nice ripe girl. And Buffy is behind him. I forget what weapon he's holding. She has the axe. He has some some weapon. And Buffy says, do we really need weapons for this? Spike kind of laughs and says, nobody likes them. They make him feel all manly. And again, Spike is fun. He's kind of poking fun at himself and at the other vampires. And he throws down his weapon. And so does Buffy, which tells us something else, that Buffy has rules when she fights. If she says, we don't really need weapons, and he throws his down, she doesn't then go ahead and use hers. She throws her weapon down as well. Spike says the last slayer begged for her life, but Buffy doesn't seem like the begging type. And Buffy says, you shouldn't have come here. And Spike, again, kind of laughs and says, no, I messed up your doilies and stuff. I also like this about Spike. I feel like the vampires we have seen to this point don't really pay that much attention to what humans are doing in terms of knowing what's happening in their lives. They pay attention so they can hunt the humans and kill them. The master certainly focused a lot on Buffy, but we don't get a feeling that they have an appreciation for what – day-to-day human life is like or that they care and I find it interesting and fun that Spike is also kind of saying ah you know man I'm not only gonna kill you I messed up your little parent teacher night that was kind of mean of me and he says as a favor he'll make it quick it won't hurt and Buffy says no Spike it's going to hurt a lot Rewatching this, it made me think of the concept of the worthy adversary, our adversary, depending how you want to say it. Couldn't recall exactly the definition or where I had heard the phrase, and if I could remember where, I would definitely give credit on that, but it is not a unique phrase to Buffy and Spike. I looked it up and I did find on um, TVtropes.org this definition of the worthy opponent. When the hero and the villain clash repeatedly, over time they may develop respect for their opponent's abilities— After all, their adversary is able to keep rising to oppose them battle after battle. In the heat of battle, the hero or villain's true capabilities and determination could be revealed. Or perhaps one of them was simply looking for a challenge. For whatever reason, the battles have created a sense of respect. And later it goes on to say, What matters is that the character in question acknowledges and respects their opponent for their skill. Should one side actually come out on top or find the other has fallen, it may lead to sympathy for the devil or sympathy for the hero. I feel like that is what we are starting to see here with Buffy and Spike, this respect for one another. While I did not think of it when I was writing my Awakening series, I suspect this is part of where one of the adversaries for my main character, Tara, started developing and became a um, definitely a worthy adversary. And he, he was barely a character in the first book. And then each book after that, he became more and more interesting to me and more and more of a focal point he is the one person who truly treats her with respect when even sometimes her family and her allies don't always do that anyway so it was interesting to see this with spike and buffy and think about how much that might have influenced you know my own writing and what what i wanted to do with my characters so we have some great fighting between buffy and spike We see Joyce, and she is about to leave the school, but she hesitates. We flip back to Spike and Buffy. She has been getting the better of the fight, at least I think so, maybe because I'm rooting for her. He then grabs a board and hits her, and she slams into the wall and down on the floor. And he is on the upswing with this board, when from behind, Joyce clocks him with that axe and says, you get the hell away from my daughter. Spike says women and storms off. I remembered him saying something much cooler than that. I feel like as Spike develops more as a character, um, he would have something maybe wittier to say. But we'll leave that uh, where it is. What's important is Joyce then says to Buffy... Nobody lays a hand on my little girl. And I love this moment. It's so rare that we get to see Buffy being protected by anybody. In particular, we're so aware that Joyce really cannot protect Buffy. She is trying to figure out how to guide her daughter who has all these issues she doesn't understand. The reality is nearly all the time she cannot do anything about what is truly plaguing. Buffy. And it's so wonderful to me that here she is able to truly and directly help Buffy. We then have Falling Action at 39 minutes 47 seconds in. And I guess I should have said I skipped right over the climax, which is our uh, last major plot point. I see the climax as the confrontation with Buffy and Spike is the start of it. But I feel like the real resolution is Joyce hitting Spike. She gets to be that pinnacle of the story and protect her daughter. So we resolve both the main plot of Spike trying to kill Buffy and the main emotional plot. I'll call it that rather than trying to call it a subplot of Buffy and Joyce in our falling action. We have Snyder outside. There are cop cars everywhere. So remember I said that the cops would start showing up. Here we see them in force. There's a guy in a suit. His name is Bob. I think that he's a detective because he's, he's wearing the suit. He and Snyder are talking about their bodies all over. Bob says one guy was pulled out a window and killed. And Snyder says, I told him not to go out that window. Which gives us even more insight about Principal Snyder. He does not hesitate to pretend he took a different position to make himself look better. I guess that shouldn't surprise me. But we have it. I might have guessed it about him. But here we have it explicit. Giles and Jenny are coming out of the school. And he tells her he would understand if she started avoiding him. But she takes his hand instead. Xander and Angel are kind of bickering. Xander says, why didn't Angel hit Spike first? Angel says he needed to know if Spike bought his act. Xander says, well, what if Spike had bitten him? Angel says, we would have known he bought it. Back to Snyder and Bob, and they're talking about what to tell the press. And this is probably my favorite series of quotes or my favorite dialogue snippet. Bob says, the usual, gang-related, PCP, Snyder, what did you have in mind? The truth? Bob, the usual, gang-related. PCP. I like this so much because it's that repetition of that line, the usual gang-related PCP, but with that different inflection. It also tells us so much about what at least some people in the police know and don't um, about Snyder's communication with the police and the authorities in Sunnydale. And at the same time, it raises story questions. Do they know it's vampires? Is there a plan for dealing with this more so than just on a one-off basis? These are interesting questions to keep us going through the series. Cordelia and Willow are still stuck in the closet because they wouldn't have been able to see what happened. Earlier, they had concluded all they could do was pray. Cordelia is uh, going through a long-winded, out loud prayer, kind of rambling on tangents. And Willow says, ask for some aspirin. Cordelia starts to include that and then says, hey... Then we see Spike and Drew. She asks if the Slayer hurt him, and he says a Slayer with family and friends. That sure wasn't in the brochure. Drew reassures him. Spike says, how's the annoying one? Which I also like because, again, we get that irreverence from Spike. And Drew says he doesn't want to play. Spike says he better go and make nice, so he goes and he gets on one knee and says he couldn't kill the Slayer. And the Anointed One says he failed. And Spike says he offers penance. And one of the other Vams goes into this rant, saying Spike ruined Saint Vigis and he should forfeit his life. Spike starts to say that he was rash and if he had to, had it to do again, and then he stops and laughs and says, "Who am I kidding?" I would do it exactly the same, only I would do this. And he grabs the anointed one, puts him in this cage that is just conveniently there. Like, I don't know what it was supposed to be there for. But puts him in it, locks it. And the cage is on a pulley system. Spike pulls the cage up into the sunlight And he says, from now on, we'll have a little less ritual and a little more fun around here. And we pan up to this smoking cage. The first time I saw this episode, I did not understand what happened because I didn't realize the Anointed One was a vampire. Maybe that sounds... Like, how could I have missed it? But even as I rewatched here, we never see the anointed one. I'm pretty sure we never see him in vamp face. I thought he was just, I don't know, this supernatural chosen little kid. It took me a while to figure out. It must have been when I was able to watch on the DVD and replay it. That spike brought the cage into the sunlight and dusted the kid. Drew smiles at the end of The Anointed One and Spike says let's see what's on TV and oh here is where we end on that smoking cage. This is a game changer at the end of the episode. I talked in a previous episode about cliffhangers versus game changers. A cliffhanger is where you don't resolve your main plot but you end anyway, so the the audience or reader is left hanging and has to come back to find the resolution. A game changer, the main plot has resolved, so here the plot of Spike trying to kill Buffy resolved, but everything changes because Spike kills the anointed one And he and Drew take over. I really like this because we've introduced this different type of vampire, two different types of vampire. Spike with his kind of freewheeling, um, fun, not about the ritual. And Drew, who is both somehow not well, but also has some sort of second sight or visions and they have this passion for each other. These are very different kinds of leaders than the master or the anointed one, who, though he was a child, was very serious all the time. And I think this was a good choice for the writers It got them into a new place where maybe on the vampire side, we will have even more interesting stories. Other than spoilers, which I hope you will hang around for, that is it for the breakdown of the episode. Next Monday, I'll be talking about Inca Mummy Girl. It's a one-off episode. And I always really enjoy it, despite that there are a few things I don't love. But we get a lot of Xander, a lot of Willow, and for a one-off episode, a fair number of things that will echo throughout the series. If you would like to support the show and get a free copy of Super Simple Story Structure, a quick guide to plotting and writing your novel, please visit and sign up at Patreon forward slash Lisa M. Lilly. That's L-I-S-A, M as in Marie, L-I-L-L-Y. Thank you so much for listening, and please hang out for the spoilers. And we're back. First spoiler Snyder is saying whoever loses gets expelled. I had not realized how much that is foreshadowed in the beginning. And that is Buffy's worry as she is preparing for parent teacher night. Two worries. One, she really wants her mom to not be disappointed in her. But two, she does not want to get expelled. We also have Angel, when he is trying to con Spike, referring to the tortured puppy act. It made me wonder if the writers already were thinking ahead to the episode, The Wish. And in that alternate universe episode, if you remember, that is where a demon will grant a wish that Buffy never came to Sunnydale. So when she does get there, Angel is locked up. The master still exists. And Angel is referred to as the puppy, and he's being tortured. Later on, uh, probably just because they like this language, I want to say it's season five. Season, oh no, it's season four when they're trying to talk in code about how Willow got bitten in front of someone who doesn't know about vampires. She says she got bit by an angry puppy. So just kind of fun use of language. Going to the more serious foreshadowing here, we have the whole Spike-Angel-Drusilla relationship. And that will be retconned a bit here. Spike says that Angel was his sire. And I forgot to mention, Xander asks Angel in their back and forth, what's a sire? Which is something else the audience doesn't know. And I feel like having Xander ask it is purposeful. It's a way of telling the audience, no, you didn't miss something. We haven't explained that yet. At the same time, it raises a nice story question what does sire mean? You could, you could probably guess based on the conversation Spike and Angel have what it might mean. We get more details later, but we find out that Drew actually sired Spike turned him into a vampire I'm thinking the the writers didn't know that part of the history yet which is interesting because we will hear a fair amount about Angel and Drew in this season but maybe they hadn't quite figured out all all the interlocking parts yet I love the reference to Spike driving spikes through the heads of his victims because we will find out that the night that Spike is turned into a vampire, he has been reading poetry and it was made fun of. And one of the guys who made fun of it said he'd rather have a spike driven through his head. So filling in the blanks, I'm assuming that he's one of the first people Spike sought out and that's why he drove a railroad Spike through his head. That doesn't come until season five. I would love to know if, you know, maybe they just came up with that nickname and that bit of history to make Spike seem fierce and then they created that backstory later or whether they always knew that that was part of Spike's origin story as a vampire. That Angel couldn't fool Spike, we will see in the coming seasons how Spike is able to read people and how he uses that to manipulate people often, but also how it helps him just survive by picking up on what is going on around him, including in a way that many humans in the show don't. The throwing down of weapons between Buffy and Spike foreshadows their dealings going into the future. When Buffy makes a deal with Spike, she keeps her side of the deal and he keeps his side of it. And we'll see that so many different times, including in the finale in season two, when they make this pact to help each other for different reasons. We'll also see, though, that Spike isn't going to go overboard with that. You know, as here, he's losing the fight. Yeah, he threw down his weapon earlier, but he picks up a board later. And in the finale, he does what he says he'll do, but he doesn't go in to try to help Buffy fight or survive. He's like, well, she might get killed. Not my problem. And leaves. Also a foreshadowing, maybe not a foreshadowing of the finale, but just something fun that that the finale will call back to. When Joyce says, hits him with the axe, get the hell away from my daughter, we will see that great scene at the end of the season where Joyce sees Spike again. They're sitting in her living room and she says, says, you know, have we met? And he says, yeah, you know, get the hell away from my daughter. And she's like, oh yes, how have you been? Also, that last line Spike has, let's see what's on TV, really foreshadows that Spike and TV will be an ongoing, um, theme is probably too strong, an ongoing aspect of his character. When he eventually moves into his crypt in a cave, somehow he gets power because he has a TV. And he watches, he likes to watch his stories on the telly. He enjoys, again, they bond at one point over, I think it's passions. Like, oh, do you think Timmy will get out of the well? This so fits Spike's character to me. He understands people. He watches people and their relationships and their interplay with one another. He is a very dramatic character. He plays for the audience. Whether it's an audience of vampires, whether it's just for his own entertainment, Spike likes a good story. A little further on The Worthy Adversary, Buffy and Spike so much are um, in that category for one another that throughout the show over and over they will not kill each other. They will try but they won't do it, and eventually they have this relationship. You can see part of that even from here, from that first moment Spike sees her, and from Buffy saying, we don't need weapons, do we? There is a great interview with James Marsters, the actor who plays Spike, on buffering the vampire slayer. I will put a link to it in the show notes. If you are not spoiler sensitive, this is such a great interview with James and he talks about how Spike was supposed to die. I think I think he says in season 2, fairly early, he was supposed to come on, just be the be a villain and get killed off pretty quickly. And he was told to play it just like that, just be a villain. And he says that he figured out that if he was not going to get killed off, his character had to be something more than just the bad guy. So he did his best to make Spike come across even more vulnerable than he was written and have even more personality. The whole interview is really fascinating. If you are not spoiler sensitive, definitely go and listen to that. My last little foreshadowing, very small, but we have Jenny and Giles and he's saying I would understand if you started avoiding me. Of course we will see that when we get to the episode about Giles' past when Jenny herself is taken over by a demon and she does avoid Giles for some time and it will be so traumatic and so difficult for both of them. I was surprised that that was very much. foreshadowed here. We have relatively little about Jenny and Giles in each of these episodes, but the writers make such great use of the moments that we have. So that is it for this Monday. If you'd like to connect or send me your thoughts about Buffy or the podcast, you can tweet me at Lisa M. Lily, hashtag Buffy story you can email me Lisa at Lisa dot com you can also find my fiction including mysteries and supernatural thrillers at Lisa dot com or visit writing as a second career dot com for articles on writing time management and publishing And I hope you will come back next Monday for Inca Mummy Girl Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman LLC copyright 20 20- 2020.